Hey friends, it's been a good long minute since Dan and I have been able to connect with you via a podcast conversation. We have been going literally the past month and a half with traveling and just random life things. We also have one big fun thing that's changed. We're actually not meeting in our closet anymore to podcast. Um, Our dear friends, Shua and Alexa, moved to North Park. And as you guys know, Shua is our worship pastor. And he also produces all the podcasts. He's he's the Rick Rubin of the Neighbors podcast world. He's the intergalactic, incredible... podcast producer. (laughs) Yes. Um, They actually, so they moved to North Park and he set up his garage as a studio and it's way more pleasant and beautiful and aesthetic. It has a vibe. Just envision us crammed into a tiny little closet surrounded by our clothes and dirty socks. Recording Dan's our podcast. dirty socks, not mine. <laughs> and, and now we're in this spacious, beautiful garage, sitting on a comfortable carpet on this couch, and there's plants everywhere. There's and glowing she, light. And Shua's got it all vibed out. Like it, this, this podcast is going to a whole nother level in this moment. Yeah, we leveled up. Um, throughout the past few weeks, as I mentioned, Dan and I have been traveling and. Um, traveling specifically to go see our grandparents, both of us. It had been a while since we'd seen our grandparents because of COVID and that kind of thing. Um, And so both of us wanted to go spend some time with them. And through um, that time, we both just started talking about this, this theme of numbered days and considering our days while we are here on earth. The psalmist said that wisdom learns to treasure every single day as numbered. In Psalm 90, 10 through 12, it says, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If we only knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So we are working with this very limited timeline as humans here on earth. And as cliche as it sounds, the older we get, it seems like time just keeps picking up its pace and it's like moving away. It's like we can't hold on to it. It's just getting faster and faster. Yep. It's no, there's no doubt about it. I think that I tend to as well. Some of us are just wired to think this way. I am, I have always felt that I'm old every, every passing year. You know, when you're like 25, you're like, guys, I'm basically 50. I'm like halfway to dead. (laughs) I did have that moment where when I turned, I think I was turning 36, but I swore that I I woke up that morning. I was like, I'm turning 37. I came out lamenting, babe, I'm turning 37. You're like, no, you're turning 36. You're actually 36. It's a birthday miracle. (laughs) So now, I mean, honestly, with every passing year, I'm 44 now, and I can only equate that to being halfway to 88 for some reason. And when I turn 45, I'm halfway to 90. My point is- You're always halfway to something. Yeah. Some of us are wired to think that we're older than we are. And so time does just keep slipping away. And uh, like Lex said, we both felt very compelled this year. Both of our sets of grandparents are moving into their 90s now. And both of them, uh, both sets of grandparents, her grandmother and my grandmother and grandfather, um, have been in steep decline over this last year. And it's, it's um, moved us to go and spend time with them as well. Um, my baby, my tiny, tiny little blue-eyed baby turned 18. Who you affectionately call 
Wubby wubby. Shubby wubby dubby dubby. <laughs> Sophia. <laughs> yeah. Sophia turned 18. And it's, oh, I just, I feel so dad-ish. It's like I'm saying all the dad things. Where did the time go and mm-hmm. what happened? And so this, this, this ruminating on the speed at which life passes by. And I really do think we're on a fool's errand in our lives if we don't take note at how fast this thing goes away from us. Mm-hmm. And the psalmist and all the Hebrew sages would call us, including Jesus, would call us to a very present um, lens through which to look at and live our lives. And that is a life of intentional awareness that this is a brief momentary existence. And so that perspective infuses, it infuses life with, mm, I don't know, an intensity of focus. And it infuses our moments with a level of meaning that I think, um, at least for most of our society, we are missing because we're so distracted and we are missing so many moments and so many days of delight in our father. And so that's, that's our, big, our big idea for today. How, how do we live wisely and learn to number our days? And what does that actually look like in this distracted, high pace, go, go, go society that we live in? Really living wisely, you know, when you distill it all down, just means not wasting a single mi- minute, but being present to God, to one another, those that we're in relationship with, we're in community with, our neighbors, um, not wasting the minutes that we have personally, and just being aware of the very real reality that this moment will come and go and we're never going to get it back. It's really interesting if you follow the great contemplatives and if you do any reading of the mystics, one of their primary emphases was living in the present moment. I'm reminded right now of Frank Laubach, uh, who was a missionary to a group of Muslims in some obscure Philippine islands area in the 30s. And he wrote this book called Letters from a Modern Mystic. It's actually just a compilation of his letters, primarily to his father, lamenting how hard his life was and how lonely it was. But while there, Laubach developed this mentality about being present to God in every single minute. Mm-hmm. And he developed this thing called the game of minutes, wherein he would practice being aware of God's presence every single minute of, of every hour. And the game was how many minutes could he be consciously aware of and yielded to God's presence. And it's quite challenging when we actually try to live this out, but as Laubach accounted for, and as I've discovered in my own life, when we turn our attention to the present moment, aware of God's presence, aware, like not just in our heads about what's coming and what has been, but aware in the present moment of what is in the presence of God. Well, I think that's where the thin space is created between heaven and earth. I think that that is where the impact of kingdom comes directly onto earth as it is in heaven. Isn't it Brother Lawrence too, who wrote Practicing the Presence? Yes. Where he talks a lot about that too, where, you know, doing the dishes and recognizing the presence of God in that moment, like the sacredness of that moment, even while doing something mundane as washing dishes or scrubbing a toilet. Mm -hmm. Um, But just having this increased awareness of what's happening in the presence, in your present moment with the presence of God. And really, it's vain to live in this place of constantly looking to the past 
And it's also vanity to constantly be looking towards the future with like an anxiousness that's like, what's going to happen? Really, the beauty of life is found in what's presently happening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I know people who are in their 60s and, uh, you know, that should be the 60s and 70s and 80s is when you, I, I feel like that's the season where you come in, you're like, okay, life has passed me by. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to enjoy uh, these, these latter years of my life. And I know people, people that I really love and care about who are crippled by their past well into their 60s and 70s. It's as if in the years that should be uh, a beautiful sunset of their lives, they are looking back to their 30s and 40s in this ocean of regret. And their ocean of regret is robbing them of their current moment. And there is nothing that they can do to change what has been done. That is the vanity of living our current day thinking about, lamenting, wishing, what could have, asking, trying to change something that we can't change in the past. You know, if you contrast that with a lot of the anxiety that's present with a lot of the younger generations right now, um, there is this anxiousness of the future and how things are going to come together. And I would say to some degree, you know, COVID rocked that for a lot of Mm -hmm. people too. And for some people, it distilled things down to live um, in the present moment, but for some, it really brought um, fear and anxiety about the future mm-hmm. and worrying about something that hasn't even arrived yet. And so, both of those spectrums, you know, regretting the past and then anxious about the future, are missing out on what's happening presently. There is really a note of celebration, I think, through the COVID process, culturally speaking, mm-hmm. in that as the house of cards of our certainty about our future and our kind of pseudo control of our universe was blown down by the hurricane of, of COVID, a lot, there are multiple studies that have reported massive life changes being made. And in mm-hmm. some ways, what COVID did and is still doing is it uh, ripped from us this constant worry about the future because it was like, oh, whoa, I don't have control. So how am I living in my present moment? And people have made major decisions, life decisions, Mm -hmm. like career path changes, moving to a different state, um, massive changes around their relationships and how they want to invest in their relationships. And Mm so you just see that the human psyche, it's, it's proclivity, is to live in an unreality. And what I mean by that is uh, our, our psychology is hardwired to live in the past, wishing we could have changed it. And it's hardwired to worry about the future. Mm, so true. But God in these moments gives us the gift of the present moment and grace and awareness. And so the psalmist, as we read, would say, that's wisdom. Mm-hmm. That's wisdom. It's ceasing from the fool's errand of regretting the past and worrying about a future that, that doesn't exist yet. Yeah, to number our days is like squeezing the juice out of every second. Yeah, as you're even listening to this podcast, just take in a deep breath. Where are you right now? Just notice you are alive. You are alive. And a million, million senses are occurring through the the system of your body. And you are present wherever you are right now. And that it's a miracle. Mm -hmm. And I'm utterly persuaded that Jesus in his humanness, he lived this way. Jesus lived um, fully aware. Our Savior was fully aware of what was coming in the future. And in some moments, he was struggling with it. He was, he was anxious about it. He was 
worried about it and he prayed about it. Um, and yet Jesus, I think on the whole, would use language like, what I see my father doing, I do. And I think he meant that in the present moment. What I hear my father saying, I declare. He says this over and over and over, especially throughout the gospel of John. And so Jesus knew that he was living on a limited number of days in his life. And because of that, it's really fascinating to me. I don't think that Jesus lived every second of his life with this like heavy sobriety, this somberness. Here comes the cross. Here comes my looming, uh, my looming doom. And it was really coming for him. Most of our anxieties are fogs that never come to actual fruition. They're like, they're like uh, specters. They're vapors. Our worries are vapors that just kind of dissipate with reality when we hit the present moment. Jesus knew the cross was coming. But instead of, I think, living out of that fear and anxiety, he lived in the present moment. And no matter where you are in the kind of cinematic theatrical world, if you haven't watched The Chosen, we were just having a conversation <laughs> with some friends early this morning about that show. If you can get past, you know, some of the uh, I don't know what the accents are. They're not ancient Palestinian or Hebrew accents, but whatever. If you can just watch the actor of Jesus in that YouTube TV series, The Chosen, the man really does an excellent job of exhibiting a joyful Jesus who is in the present moment mm-hmm. with um, with the people that he loved. And I think for myself, sitting there watching that show and watching that man depict Jesus with this joy, like, just squeezing the juice out of every second that he had with his people, just sucking the marrow out of the life that he'd been given as a human. It honestly, it made me cry. It made me cry in multiple moments over and over and over. The slow motion scenes of him laughing with his disciples just made me cry. And so um, probably one of Jesus's most comforting commands And I would say one of the most difficult commands to actually do is there in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first his kingdom, he would say. Seek first Jesus's kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. He was talking about provision and safety and all these things. And then he he commands us, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The King of Kings, the maker of the universe, the transcendent God who enfleshed himself in time, he tells us as his followers, listen, my son, my daughter, tomorrow's going to have plenty of trouble of its own. Today, focus in the present moment on me, pursue me, pursue my kingdom, pursue my righteousness. And all these things that you regret are covered. And all these things that you worry about, well, you'll find your way through them when they actually arrive. Mm -hmm. There's kind of two ideas that I take from that verse, and it's one, that a heart of wisdom is both present-focused. So, you know, Jesus tells us, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worry for itself. But then there's also this eternal focus of seeking first his kingdom, this idea that there's a life that's going to be beyond our current moment. And so it's like finding the wisdom to live now in that already not yet tension of Jesus, Jesus's kingdom is now, and we can live each day in light of that. Mm-hmm. But then also that not yet, where there are real life things that we face that are difficult. And so like learning how mm-hmm. to live with a heart that's both present focused and eternal focused. Yeah, babe, I think you set up the tension of 
of the human experience, the reality of the human experience. Well, what we we are not saying, oh yeah, you should just totally forget about your past and never think about it. That you are who you are today because of your past, right? Your blessings and your wounds. And oh no, you shouldn't ever think about your future. Well, Jesus thought about his future. Um, there is this tension of the present moment being framed by our past and aware of the future, but it's framed from this perspective of uh, rest as a state of existence, non-anxious presence, uh, uh, a focus on what is as a gift, uh, receiving versus reacting, all of these kind of little catchphrases that we live by. And so how do we think about the past in the present moment to value our days as numbered? And how do we think about the future? One of the things that we do concretely, and this is a big thing for us in our family and in our marriage, um, and this is going to get super bible right now, <laughs> super bible words, uh, which we love. We love bible words. We love bible stories. I think the Bible is <laughs> spot on in helping us understand the human experience. We create Ebenezer stones for all you Bible trivia students. What am I talking about? <laughs> we create Ebenezer stones. This, this idea of creating monuments of remembrance yeah. in the present moment that later in our present moments, we look back on and we're like, oh, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. It's creating these monuments, these pillars of reflection, these pillars of remembrance that then create later in the future, in, our, in the future in our present lives, man, we're getting super timescapey here, but it, they create these moments that just generate joy and peace and happiness these Ebenezer stones. What what are the Ebenezer stones? They come from uh, a story in the book of First Samuel. Um, the Philistines had been um, routed by the Israelite people. It was a great victory, and there the prophet Samuel, we're told in First Samuel chapter seven verse twelve, took a stone and uh, he set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer. And Ebenezer means, thus far, the Lord has helped us. So it was this stone of remembrance wherein a a physical marker of a great victory, a great moment of experiencing God's presence, but then setting up a marker of remembrance so that later, as people would see that stone, children would ask questions about that stone, about that pillar, about that monument. And that act of remembering, they would say, that is... Ebenezer's stone, that is where we remember that the Lord helped us then. Mm -hmm. And right now in our present moment, that means the Lord will help us today. And when we look at that stone in the past, we remember the Lord is going to help us in the future. You know, concretely, Mm -hmm. we actually can practice this whole idea of creating Ebenezer stones. Um, I mean, that can come in the form of even journaling specific like prayer requests and then dating Absolutely. like when there's an answer to that request and whatever form the answer comes, even if it's not the form that you were expecting. Didn't you have like a our Seattle to San Diego oh, yeah. journey? You had like this crazy list. Yeah. And so throughout um, our marriage at different times, I've been more diligent than others, but throughout our marriage um, and our family life, we actually have this like canister that I've just little prayer requests from anything from like, Lord, would you provide a, p- a piano for us? And then literally the next weekend, someone giving it us a piano to things that took more time. Um, I would just write it down on a piece of paper and put it in this canister. And then I had a pretty long period of like not adding to it. And then 
um, in my journal as we were preparing and seeking the Lord on, you know, if we should leave our beautiful church in Seattle to move down to help plant Park Hill. Um, and just chronicling that time, that season, I wrote out very specifically things we were praying about and asking the Lord to come through for us. And in many ways, he um, answered those prayers in a lot of different ways that were unexpected. There but was when even I look, a, can I share mm-hmm. that Ebenezer moment? One of my most favorite Ebenezer moments from my wife in that process was we woke up one morning, and, and this is how it works. We're sitting on this couch in one of our best friend's garage, and God has done so much for us over these last three years. And I can look back on this Ebenezer moment where my wife woke up in Seattle and we were making decisions about moving to San Diego, terrified, terrified. And she opened up the back. We lived in this home with this huge window that overlooked this green belt and it had snowed the night before. And she opened up the curtain and it was like bright, like Narnia, like Narnia Mm -hmm. in winter, (laughs) just beautiful. And I heard her breath literally be taken. She goes, like her breath was literally taken away. And she came and she said, I was so surprised. And the Lord told me, I have so many more surprises for you. Just this beautiful, the image is so clear, this Ebenezer moment. And it is filling this present conversation right now, going into your ears with such thankfulness Mm -hmm. and such joy. Yeah, those moments that I've chronicled and written down have reminded me, like like in the book of 1 Samuel, thus far the Lord has helped us. It's like these little notes written on paper are these reminders of the help of the Lord, His answered prayer, that kind of thing. And so I would encourage you, you know, create some form of reminding yourself, like chronicling those Ebenezer moments. Yeah, you guys know I'm an armchair brain science guy and psychologist. I know just enough to be in uh, very, very dangerous when I talk about this stuff. But there are a couple different psychological studies that are super interesting, and they actually show that the human psyche, uh, our experience of happiness, that is the way that we actually experience happiness. Yes, it happens in the present moment, but more so our happiness is experienced as we remember events in the past. In other words, like it's a blast when you're at Disneyland, even if it's hot and you're sitting there in the line and you wish you didn't have to sit in the line. Uh, That's a fun moment in the present, but there's something about getting some time between the actual events at Disneyland and then remembering the time at Disneyland where the happiness is experienced in a different way. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) We like actually experience this. The first time we took our kids to Disneyland, I mean, we had hyped this up. We didn't live down in San Diego at the time. We still lived in Seattle. So it was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so fun. We're going to Southern California. We're going to go to Disneyland. And it was like our dream to take our kids to Disneyland and just experience that with them. And when we got there, we quickly realized coming from Seattle that it was going to be raining like almost the entire week that we were down here. Like not just Seattle drizzle, like full Noah's flood freezing cold raining. Yeah. So we had to go buy those rain ponchos. They were like hideous. And at Disneyland, (laughs) they're like 15 bucks a poncho. Um, And so we bought like five ponchos. His Dan's parents were with us too. And we were like, you know what? We came to experience Disneyland to the fullest. We were Disneyland troopers. Rain is not going to sway us. Maybe learning to deal with rain in Seattle helped a little bit. But we did the whole Disneyland thing. And California and was, Adventure, and it was downpouring rain. 
And there were moments where it was like, my feet are soaking wet. I'm freezing cold, but I'm going to get on. Did you guys know that raindrops when you're on the Incredicoaster come like, they they become like little bullets just poking your face. I've never been so miserable on a roller coaster in my entire life. But the crazy thing is when we all look back on that, it is literally one of our most fun times at Disneyland and California <laughs> Adventure. Like our memory of it is just, wow, that was such a fun time. And it does lend itself to that whole idea that the experience that comes afterwards, the emotional experience that comes afterwards is different than like what's actually practically experienced in the moment. Yeah. You can, you can recreate Ebenezer stones out of some of the worst memories actually. Uh, And so we really want to encourage you, pile up those altars, pile up those altars of joy intentionally in your present moments. And then when you do reflect on your past, um, you can, the human brain is so powerful. It's, it's, uh, it's able to reframe things in, in ways that God just miraculously heals those memories and makes them so joyful. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you may be sitting here listening right now and you're like, uh, I think it's too late for me. It's great that you guys were able to write down these things and document your journey and all that. But I, Dan, I'm that 70-year-old or I'm that 65-year-old that's just lamenting my past and, and life has already passed me by. And I just want to encourage you, dear soul, that's just not true. It's just not true. If you are living and breathing, then God has given you a new day to rejoice in his mercy and to live present, Mm -hmm. and to look back on how all the memories have made you who you are, the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly. And so even right now, even your narrative that it's too late for me, I made too many mistakes, I'm never going to have these good memories, or I'm never going to have these Ebenezer stones, I think the Holy Spirit would literally invite you to a, a gentle and a humble repentance. And to invest these, these years, the day to day, invest in seeing the sacred and the holiness of every single moment. And he even wants to reframe your memories in such a way that even your memories of lament, I spent so long lamenting, those aren't lost. The Lord, uh, again, another Bible thing to say, what the locusts have eaten, the Lord knows how to restore. That's a, a, it's a line from the prophet of Joel. Yeah, and I'd say you don't have to even be 60 or 70. You might be... Mm-hmm. 25, 35, 40. And maybe there have been some life choices where you're like, whoa, I've really wrecked things. And so you are living in regret to some degree and missing out on what's currently happening. And it's just, it's never too late. God's patience and his love never runs out. There is, like Dan said, that new mercy. And so maybe you find yourself in a place where you're like, I've really wrecked things. And I don't know how I'm going to fix this or make my life right. Or maybe that's brought some, you know, extensive damage to relationships, that kind of thing. Like even that can become this Ebenezer for you where Mm -hmm. today you're like, okay, I'm going to shift my thinking and I'm going to start living for what's presently happening in my life. And these little moments of obedience that shift things Mm. and it becomes an Ebenezer for you. It's interesting. I'm having a, a little bit of a vision in my mind of a human out on the beach and they're looking back towards, so we live on the West coast. So they're looking East and they're just looking at like this landscape that is like scorched earth. It's like there's a fire that has gone through on the land 
and they are weeping and lamenting and they can't take their eyes off of all the burned houses and Mm. all the burned trees and it's just scoured. And then behind them, as they're looking east, is like this Pacific Ocean and it's clean and beautiful and um, it's inviting. And my sense, my interpretation of this is, is maybe for you that are just lamenting and looking at the scorched earth from your past, there's this Pacific ocean of love right mm-hmm. now waiting for you to dive into. And it the Pacific ocean of love washes you and cleanses you. And, and your father is saying all of that scorched earth, he knows how to bring up all the new vegetation. He knows how to build new houses on it, but you, you don't get to go back there you have to dive into this Pacific ocean of love on this like new present journey, new present journey with him. So that's concrete past Ebenezer moments, concrete present. I mean, it's going to get a little bit hippie, um, but these are some of the most simple things that we do, like literally stopping and smelling the flowers today. I literally smell the flowers. Oh man. I actually have a friend that I walk with occasionally and walk with her and her little, her little son. He's like around one and she stops with him. Like when we're walking, she'll stop with him and, and be like, Oh, smell the flowers. And she'll like point out the flowers to him. And then she'll like put it like near his nose and be like, smell it, you know? And she's like teaching him to consider and enjoy like what's present presently happening. We also have like this neighborhood dog. I think his name's Toby <laughs> and her little boy like loves Toby. And so we'll stop and be like, Oh, where's Toby? And Toby comes up to the fence and it's just like just teaching her son, even at this young age, like to delight in what's presently happening in his life and to, um, consider even what's what's in front of him creation and like the joy that that gives. Yeah. I love it how she does that. You know, I I think that I have realized that literally every day this thing called life, there's like a million miracles that we can experience just through our five senses. Have you ever just so okay, here's an example from my own life. Let's take the the one uh sense of taste. So back in Seattle, I got way into coffee. I had a friend that was like a coffee snob guy and he got me into- Not a coffee snob. That sounds mm, so mean. Ian, you were a coffee snob. I love you, dude. (laughs) Uh, But he got me way into it and um, got me the grinder and got me Chemexing and all that stuff. So we moved down to San Diego where the water is like drinking, I don't even know- like. Tap water down Toxic here is like, water? yeah, like I think I'm growing a third arm out my back because of whatever they put in that water. <laughs> in other words, it tastes gross too, compared to like Seattle, crystal clear, beautiful water. And coffee and beer, by the way, is all about the water quality. So I'd been making my coffee down here with- with um, Unpurified water. Yeah, with third arm growing water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, some friends of ours gifted us with, what are they, Britis? A, a Berkey. Oh, a Berkey. Yeah. They're like the super, like you can, you know, you can put the third arm growing water in there and it, it fixes it. But I didn't realize, I didn't realize until the first morning I used the Berkey water to do my pour over. It was like the flavor profile of that coffee exploded in my mouth. And that, I don't want to get like weird about this or I don't want to get sentimental but I felt so worshipful. (laughs) Not only had I nailed my pour over, the timing and the grind and everything, but 
the taste. I was like, Father, this taste is, how did you do this? How do you do this? My brain is just connecting with this piece of meat in my mouth called the tongue. And this experience is happening. And then from there, I just kind of expanded it. Oh my gosh, look at the color of that flower as the sun is coming in and this bean, this coffee bean flavor is exploding in my mouth. And listen to the quiet of the home, just listening to my children and my wife asleep in the home and a million miracles in a five minute session of having a drink of coffee. In fact, there's actually, I would encourage you guys to pick it up. There's a a book called Every Moment Holy, and it has liturgies for standing in line. And it has liturgies for your coffee uh, creation moment. It has liturgies for when you're irritated with one of your kids. And the the goal of the liturgies is to bring you into the present moment. Mm -hmm. So as simple as it sounds, try to discern the miracle of what it feels like to be in your body, to taste, to see, to touch, to feel, to hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, This thing called life, it is an indescribable miracle. And it's so fast and there's so much to be lived in it. Create your Ebenezer stones from the past, live in the present. And then how do you and I think about the future? Mm -hmm. Because it's terrifying if we think about it from the world's perspective. Mm -hmm. Last week, I think it was last week, in our Lectio Divina journals, we had been reading and meditating in Hebrews 11. And it was, you know, talking about these people of faith and the ways they trusted Yahweh despite their circumstances or what was like practically happening in their present moment. And so they really had this like wise, um, forward-looking eternal heart, like this anticipation and expectation of what was to come. And in many ways, they recognized that they were pilgrims. They're sojourners Mm. and this life is temporary. And they had this longing for something that was greater. And that is wisdom. Yeah. So wise. It's it's interesting. I asked my pop, my pop's 90. I was sitting there in Arkansas. He's a deep, he's a deep South Ozark hillbilly and I love him. And he has these Southern ways of saying things like a thousand Southern statements that I wish I could put into a coffee table book. Uh, but I was sitting there next to my pop and he's all leaned back in his recliner and, and we're having this conversation about him growing up in Oklahoma and then military. He was a double retiree from the Air Force and the wars, everything. I'm just watching this ancient man recount his life and I, I just asked him, Pop, if you were going to give me and my, you know, my midlife stream here one sentence of advice, what would it be? And he got very still. And I, I could see the, the gears grinding as he was sorting through what he would say. And his response was, you know, Dan, in his deep Southern drawl, a man needs to line up his dreams with reality. Otherwise, that man's going to be miserable when his expectations go unmet. Mm-hmm. And uh, at first I was, at first I was disappointed. Like, oh, you're telling me to diminish my dreams? But I don't think now I'm reflecting that's what my pop was saying. I think my pop was saying the dreams are wrapped up in the reality of our, of our everyday moments. And we miss them whenever we have these kind of fabricated expectations that are out there. And then when those expectations aren't met, it makes our present moments miserable. There's just such tremendous wisdom in looking to the future and saying, I'm not going to put my dials on the hands of creation here. I'm going to receive what comes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to plan. I'm going to pray. I'm going to hope. But I'm not going to wrap up my joy in the 
the fulfillment of these things that I conjure in my mind. I'm going to receive what comes and let it emerge into my life. And I think that uh, it's just a, it's a posture. It's a way of living in the world that is so counter to the kind of Enneagram 3 American set your goal perform, achieve, knock it out of the park, murder it, as we like to say, you're killing it, life. This is more like farming. Plant the seeds in prayer and let it emerge. You know, a heart of wisdom just recognizes that there's this fleetingness in the now. There's the moments are going, it's all fleeting. And because of the abundant life that's to come, we can have this, this strengthened faith like these men and women of faith that we read about in Hebrews 11, and we can live with a strengthened faith, um, with a strengthened faith in, with hope and with joy now. You know, I've had moments where in situations where I've been struggling, where I've asked myself, okay, if I knew that I was going to die in the next year, how would I live today mm to really distill down my priorities. And, you know, I'm not saying like, ooh, just go to death, but there is something really, uh, yeah, it distills down our priorities and purifying when we actually consider death. And I can specifically think of one situation in my life where um, I had gone through something pretty difficult and I had been wronged by someone and it was just, it was like becoming this thing in my life that I was like, I had developed a hitch. It was like a repeating record of resurfacing pain mm. and like, okay, I think I've dealt with this. I think I'm fine. And then up oh, here it is again. And I'm struggling and I'm finding I'm bitter. I'm angry and I'm hurt. And um, one day I was on a hike and as clear as day, I heard the spirit ask me, what is it going to look like to move and move toward forgiveness in this situation? And I also sensed that he was saying, move towards forgiveness, even if the person who wronged you actually never acknowledges they're wrong, but you move towards forgiveness in your own heart and soul. And just in this moment, I realized, oh, this this thing, this unforgiveness, this hurt, even though I was wronged wrongfully, I'd say, it still had become something for me that was, it, it was like a speech impediment, like a hitch where I, it was like a stutter, like I wasn't able to move past it. And it was affecting the way I lived in the moment. And so when the spirit asked me, what's going to look like to move toward forgiveness, I realized like this moment is fleeting and these feelings, yes, it's important to acknowledge how I've been hurt and how those things have shaped me but this life is so fleeting. Do I really want to waste my days on living in bitterness and unforgiveness um, toward people? Or do I want to live my life in a free way? Because honestly, living with unforgiveness is bondage for the person that's living with it. Really, probably for the person who's wronged you, they're probably not even thinking of it, but you're in bondage to it Mm -hmm. if you're living in it. And so I realized I was living in in a jail, so to speak. And so it just clarified for me, you know, it distilled down, like I was saying, what am I living for? And does this really matter? And what am I missing in this moment? Because I'm living over, repeating this story of the past that's affecting my present. Mm. Yeah. Dear friend, your days are limited. Your end is looming. And that should be a joy invigorating, life emboldening meditation. It should clarify and distill, how are you living today? 
you only have today. Dear soul, you only have this next breath that you're going to take and then it is gone. One of the things that we have committed to as we wrap up this conversation is we, whether it's a car that, I don't know, a bus hits us and takes us out or it's terminal cancer or whatever the plethora of ways that God will take us to be with him. Whatever it is, in that moment, that final nanosecond before we enter the kingdom of God, um, both my wife and I, we've said multiple times, we do not want in that final nanosecond to have anything like, I wish we would have. And so this way of living present, limiting the days, setting up Ebenezer stones intentionally of remembrance, smelling the flowers, really marveling at the flavor of coffee, thinking about a future that is limited. You don't have endless days in this life. So how does that change how you're dealing with present emotional structures, present relational issues, all of those things. Be wise. Mm -hmm. Let the Spirit teach you to number your days. We love you so much. Shalom, friends. Shalom. Shalom.